Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a de beer. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for, I was going to say another week, but it's probably been a a month since our last one. Uh, But of course, it's uh, Test Rugby window and we had to get back together to have a chat about the upcoming series. A reminder, once again, we are covering the hottest topics in Australian rugby for you. And with me to help me do that, I am Rugby Reg. Uh, Geez, it's been a while since I've done one of these intros, but joining (laughs) me today is the one and only Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? I'm great, mate. And it's, it's going to be more than a month. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I was being a little bit friendly there, wasn't I? I was yeah. trying to cover some of those Rugby Report Cards podcasts as ours, but uh, it, it has been a little while. And the crash it, ball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could forget Alan Jones and Hugh Camel with the odd cameo from yourself, Matt. So uh, mm. we've had a bit of content coming through. Um, and we have a, a very special guest joining us, as we are wont to do with these um, mid-season, although it hasn't boded well for us historically we had the egg chaser guys on when we did the when we had the english coming out for their series and england turned around and wiped us three nil so while we're bringing an irish person on uh in advance of this test series i will never know but murray Kinsella, if you follow him on twitter i'm sure you know all about uh his uh insight to the game of not just irish rugby but he's a, a great coverage of global rugby murray we're thrilled to have you on board thanks for joining us yeah thanks for having me on guys i think the last time i spoke to you was probably back in 2013 around the Lions store. So uh, it's been a good long stint. So I'm delighted to be back on. Excellent. Well, that's great for joining us. Now, Murray, first and foremost, look, we'll get to the test series, but uh, an interesting week for Irish rugby on the back of the sevens team having a a pretty fantastic performance over in, in Twickenham. Was that a surprise to you? Yeah, it's been, I mean, the, the extent of their achievement over there is definitely a surprise. They, you know, they beat USA in the quarterfinal, beat England in the bronze final. Um, and it's really brought sevens into the attention of the rugby public in Ireland. Um, it has been building for a while. The, the men's program was relaunched in 2015 after a fair few years of being dormant. Um, but the RFU have put a lot of investment into it. Um, David Nusfora, who you guys probably know quite well, is is obviously a big fan of sevens and he saw it as a a chance to both develop 15s players and as a standalone sport. Obviously, it's growing massively and it's such an attractive thing for sponsors as well. So um, it's, it's, been, it's been a big focus for the RFU. Um, and, the, and this season, they've had a lot of um, players kind of go into a program specifically for the Sevens, train and play. Uh, they, they had a Hong Kong qualifier tournament that if they had won that, they would have been onto the series for next season. But they lost in the semi-final in pretty cruel circumstances. Um, so they're getting close and, and they're improving all the time. And there's some really good players in the setup as well. Um, so so it's been growing that way. But yeah, the, the scale of that performance in London really blew people away. I actually got into Brisbane on, on Sunday there, or Monday rather, um, and I met Michael Checa, and that was the first thing he said. He said, when did, when did Ireland get so good at sevens? They're, they're dominating everything now. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely got a, a global attention as, well, uh, attention as well. I was going to ask, I mean, flippantly again, and Matt joked off there about, you know, typical Australians, we're very sort of focused on our own sort of backyard. But Ireland rugby, you know, from a distance, looks like they're really getting their shit together. I mean, you know, it's taken a little while, and we mentioned sevens, but obviously – you know, from your provincial rugby, who's had the, the recent success, obviously the test team's playing um, exceptionally well. I think the number two in the world at the moment. Um, but also the under-20s, and I remember watching your lads, oh, was it last year, wallop our Aussies. Um, 
you know, it just feels like rugby in Ireland. Um, you know, the systems are working and the, and the growth is happening, the performances as a result coming through. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Um, like mentioning News 4 there, he's done a really good job um, since he's come in. And, and himself and Joe Schmidt are the two kind of key decision makers. Everything runs through them. Um, and they've put really good structures in place right from the age of 14, 15. Now they're identifying guys and getting them onto the pathway so that by the time they get to 20s, they've had a, a couple of years of exposure to, to really high performance standards in nutrition, exercise, or kind of S&C stuff. Uh, mental skills even so so the players coming through are, are really advanced um, compared to what we had before uh, and obviously the union having such control over all aspects of the game is really beneficial you know you're getting your players um, managed really well in terms of how many minutes they're playing a guy like Johnny Sexton doesn't play an awful lot for his province Leinster unless it's in the really big games but um, that means he's all the fresher when it comes to a big Six Nations match or, or a tour like this at the end of what could have been a long season like Ireland's top internationals all tell you that, hang on, I'm actually okay for it. So it's not like I'm limping into the final few games of the season. Um, so yeah, there are loads of benefits to to the RFU essentially owning the four provincial teams in Ireland. Now there are uh, points of contention a lot. And and um, one thing that Noosa 4 probably wants to do more of is actually moving players amongst the provinces. There's been a really interesting case recently. Uh, Joey Carberry, who's the, the backup out half to Johnny Sexton. He's at Leinster, so he's back up to Johnny Sexton there as well. And and Nusifora oh, and, and Schmidt were, were keen for him to obviously play a lot of games at out half in, in the build-up to the World Cup. Um, and they kind of offered him a chance to go to Ulster. There was a bit of pressure put on, on him after he said no to that. And, and he's ending up going down to Munster next season. But it is still a big deal for Irish players. To I know it's only two hours up or down the road. But, you know, the tradition of the provinces being fierce rivals is still there. So that's a little something that I think New Sephora is keen to, to overcome. But as you say, overall, it's it's in really good shape in Ireland. Jeez, Matt, Matt, it's hard to listen to that, isn't it? Yeah, a name like New Sephora involved, who obviously sort of <laughs> was involved with Australian <laughs> rugby. But at a time when, you know, we're having uh, Wallabies trying to get players rested from Super Rugby. We're getting uh, Super Rugby players taking players from our under-20s. It's just we all seem all over the place at the moment. Australian rugby seems couldn't be more disparate. Yeah, I mean, look, and we, we, we've had, you know, we did those podcasts we were talking about what's the way forward for Australian rugby. And, um, you know, hearing about the control that clearly those, you know, those guys have um, throughout Irish rugby is really interesting. It sounds a lot more like New Zealand rugby than it does like Australian, where there's almost zero control. Um, and I was, I was just going to ask there, actually, Murray, so... One of the things that we talked about was, you know, how you keep your players basically in Ireland. I remember a while back it was with um, Brian O'Driscoll. There was like a, mm. a tax incentive for him to stay in Ireland. Is, does, yeah. does that still exist? What happened to that? Yeah, there's uh, basically 10 years of your career earning in Ireland will, will essentially get all that tax back at the end of your career when you retire. Um, so that is a, a big incentive. Um, but also the just in terms of while you're actually playing, a lot of the players tell you, like, I could have gone to France, I could have got more money um, by going there, but I know I would have been flogged physically. Um, whereas in Ireland, I'm taking care of, the, the union really does um, invest a lot of time into kind of monitoring me. They use a, a, a company called Kitman Labs, and they, you know, they have really detailed analysis of how many meters guys are running, collision load, all that sort of stuff. Over the course of years now, they have that data and they and they put a lot of time into making sure their players are in peak physical condition and not, and not overtrained. So 
I think you know you can add, almost add a couple of years to your, to your career that way and, and you make up the, the difference in value that you would have got by going to France but potentially injuring yourself um, and like Johnny Sexton went for two years to Racing Metro, uh, Racing Metro as they were at the time uh, and he actually caught a couple of injuries out of that he didn't enjoy the experience and I think that was really positive almost for the RFU because other guys probably looked at that and said oh, I don't want to have that bad experience now we'd still, we still do lose a couple of players like Simon Zebos going to Racing uh, this summer uh, and there'll always be that lure of of the big, big money on offer. But yeah, certainly Irish guys, and also for the reason that I mentioned before about loving playing for their province, where, where they're from, um, is also another draw. But yeah, so far it's it's been pretty um, positive with guys signing on to to stay. And just to stay on that for a second. Um, so when we were discussing that, there was quite a lot of conversation about it after the podcast in the in the comments. And one of the things was, well, you could never get that tax treatment to happen here because you know, the, the dominant codes here are actually domestic codes. So AFL has no international draw and nor does uh, NRL really. Um, yeah. But I mean, surely, you I mean, you know, you've got, you know, you know, Gaelic football and, and hurling there, which are, are, you know, massive codes in, 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 in Ireland. How did they, how did they, was, did they have to make a distinction or how did they manage to make it work with, with, with those domestic codes? Yeah, well, they're not, they're not actually professional. They're still amateur sports um, uh, and staunchly so. Okay. Although the players, like they train just as hard as the rugby guys, they and a lot of them have jobs on top of that, obviously, um, and really they're they're professional athletes in all but the actual wages coming in. Like there are certain amounts of payments and they help get jobs and things like that, but it but it's amateur sport. Yeah, it's 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 tough for them, um, and I definitely feel for them when I look at the amount of training they're doing. But um, no, it's not it's not directly comparable. Okay, AFL looks. Um, you yeah, know, looks amateur to me, but uh, we know it's not. But anyway, Reg, back to you, mate. <laughs> yeah, so look, we've got to focus purely on the Irish perspective. Obviously, while we've got Murray on board, we might try and catch up with Jamie Miller a little bit later when the sun starts to rise in the USA. And, and we, we'll talk more broadly. Might might even touch on uh, the last round of Super Rugby, which was actually a positive one for Super for Australian teams, uh, even from a Reg's perspective, I'd suggest. Um, Murray, let's talk broadly first and foremost. I know, you know this is the first ever three-match series between Australia and Ireland. Um, first time I think it's been a multi-test series on Australian shores since probably 78, maybe, the, the Ollie Campbell tour. Yeah, 79, um, yeah. 79, was it? Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's remarkable to, to, to think that. And it's, it's a really exciting series. I guess one of the broad questions I had, I remember reading an article a little while ago that might that suggested the Irish might bring out a second string team that might have been more hopeful from the Aussies or not. Was there any ever thought uh, from your end? Did you hear whether this might be you know, a chance to develop some players and rest some key players, or was this always going to be a pretty important um, series for the Irish? Yeah, I think I think Joe Schmidt was always going to uh, bring his frontline players. Like on the outside, there was a good bit of chat about maybe the Lions from last summer down in Zealand being rested, but. Um, as I said, all those players wanted to be involved. Um, and with the World Cups relatively close now, what, 15 months away, uh, Schmidt definitely sees this as a, as a, another stepping stone towards uh, finally getting past the quarterfinal stage in that tournament. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is a very exciting series for, for the reason you mentioned. You know, we haven't had this kind of series before. Um, and from Ireland's point of view, it's, it's kind of weird coming down to Australia with a, with a lot of confidence. I think the squad, obviously, this week, they keep uh, parroting the same line about listen, these Wallabies beat the All Blacks last, just last year. Uh, they're in their own backyard, all this kind of stuff. But I think within the group, there is quite a, a degree of confidence. Um, you know, they come off the back of a Grand Slam in March when, when they were really dominant, particularly up front as well. 
um, and loads of guys uh, obviously having experience like Johnny Sexton and, and, and all those key leaders, but also a kind of new wave of players coming through. Guys like James Ryan, he's a 21-year-old lock who looks like he's going to be one of the greats. Dan Levy, 23-year-old uh, open side flanker, another one to watch out for in, in this series. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of confidence swelling around Irish rugby with this squad that Schmidt has. You mentioned kind of experimentation there, and it is something that he's he's discussed a little bit. He said this may be my last chance to kind of trial a few things in terms of combinations, or, or I don't know, in terms of tactically as well. Um, and there are two uncapped players. He he's got Tyg Byrne, uh, a second row slash blindside uh, flanker. And he's also got Ross Byrne an out half as well. So there is a degree of that and, and giving guys chances. Um, so I think we'll probably see him mix up his starting team over the course of the three tests as well. Yeah, it'll be a really interesting clash of styles, I think, in this series. Um, the Grand Slam was very much a, a Joe Schmidt team um, kind of performance in terms of the tactical elements. You know, they've always been massively focused on the breakdown um, and the rucking under Schmidt. And, and that was at an absolute peak. They're really good at dealing with um, kind of jackal threats over the over the breakdown, and that, that's right. obviously relevant with with Pocock um, yep. being the, the kind of key uh, uh, key exponent of that. Um, so they're just on top of his back, or they'll use their tin roll them off the side, or they'll target the arms. They're they're technically really strong there, um, and that means they can retain possession for really long passages. They they put together long spells of phase play, um, and they pressurize you into conceding a penalty. They'll put that into the corner and score from five metres out. It's a bit of a, a, a template for them, I guess. Having said that, there are there has been a development in the last probably two years to, to their um, ambition, I guess, with ball in hand. The previous criticism was that they were very one-dimensional. And while they are focused on, on really strong ball carrying off Conor Murray at scrum half, um, Johnny Sexton's creativity and the, the excitement machine that is jo- uh, Jacob Stockdale on the wing, he's another 21-year-old and he broke the record for tries in a single Six Nations with seven um, during that Grand Slam run. So he's added another element to it as well. And, and Schmidt's always cognizant of the fact that he needs to keep progressing and not becoming too predictable as a team, um, particularly against someone uh, as good as Australia. So there are quite a few elements to it. But uh, one of the really relevant things, I think, for this series is the fact that Ireland's pack was so dominant during the Six Nations, even against England, who would have traditionally um, kind of battered Ireland up front over the years. Um, with those younger guys coming through and, and a real degree of uh, physicality added on to the technical excellence that Irish forwards probably have always had um, ha- has helped them be really, really impressive up front. Like even in their ball carrying, you know, their little details like the footwork before the tackle, the latch when they get into contact, those little things are always really sharp with Ireland. And, and it's basic stuff, but, but they do it really well and really consistently. And I guess that's the Joe Schmidt um, philosophy really on the game. So um, I, think that, I think they'll be confident that they can overpower this, this Wallabies pack. Um, and that's going to be a big test for, for Czechs men, I think. It's a bit mouth-watering there, Matt, isn't it? I mean, uh, mm. again, we might talk about our Wallabies squad a bit later, but uh, I think it has the potential of having a, being a powerful uh, for the Wallabies. Um, but uh, a, a fair bit of uh, fresh blood and I guess uncertainty you know th- there's likely to be some unfamiliar faces in the back row and, and you'd suggest, and definitely at hooker in some capacity so it'll be a, a pretty significant test for us it will be and, and look I guess Murray uh, we were just talking before we started I mean you've basically been watching Ireland train this week um, would there be any reason why we would expect Ireland not to play a very very strong territory game I mean 
you know, with Johnny Sexton, you've got a guy who um, I think, in, in my mind, he's probably second to, to Dan Carter in recent, you know, rugby and in, in a man who can switch up his game and play a beautiful uh, territory game, you know, kicking to corners or, you know, um, contestable, but then also obviously can be electric and attack at the same time. Um, I would, if, if, you know, if I put myself in Schmidt's shoes, I would have watched the England test series and I'd just be going, look, let's just pin this Wallaby team in their own 22 and they're, or their half and let them try and run it back at us. Could you see any reason why they wouldn't be, be taking that approach? Yeah, I think there'd be a big element to that. Sexton, Sexton actually doesn't probably kick as much as he used to for Ireland, but when he does, it's invariably an excellent kick. He's really good at, at Gary Owens, the, the bomb, which I think people probably underrate the skill, but he hangs it in the air for four or five seconds. Now, obviously, Israel Flair was the best uh, diffuser of those bombs in the world, but if a guy like Corabetti starts on the wing, then I think they yeah. look to pressure that way, as well as that Conor Murray's box kicking is, I think, probably the best in the world, according to Will Genia this week. Um, and I'd go along with that. Again, he gets a lot of height on and he le- allows his wingers to get up and get a contest in the air. So even if there's not a direct win, they're getting a, a bit of physical contact onto the receiver for Australia and, and forcing an error and then kind of pouncing off that uh, to, tr- to try and score on, on turnover. So, yeah, there'll, there'll definitely be a, be a large element of that um, from Ireland. They've kind of moved away and they're kicking less uh, frequently than, than they did under Schmidt in the first couple of years. But I think the quality of the kicking ha- has been even better. Um, and, and Sexton will, will play a massive part in that, definitely. Um, so you talk about some of those key players, and, and we know the Sexton's, and God, we know Conor Mara, um, uh, a scrum half there, who's just, uh, yeah, I think we're all big fans, as much because of the way he took apart New Zealand and Chicago a couple of years ago. Um, and obviously Tar Trollong, who, who was so fantastic, has been fantastic for Ireland, but also for the Lions. Um, Rory Best is out now, which is a big loss, but talk us through some of the you mentioned, I think it was James Ryan, a few of those guys. Some of those guys we might not know, you know, as distant fans of, of rugby, who we might expect to see come through, even uh, Jacob Stockdale. What, what do they bring to the table? Yeah, I think they, they're, first and foremost, they're really strong athletes. Um, like Ryan and Stockdale and, and a guy called Andrew Porter, he's the sub tight head prop. He's an absolute giant. The three of those guys, they won, um, or they, sorry, they reached the final of the World Rugby Under 20 Championship. Um, a couple of years back and, and a really impressive underage team and they were kind of fast-tracked through because they're big guys uh, they're really explosive um, like Porter is an absolute machine <laughs> he doesn't look human almost he's so big he's so much mass on him um, and Stockdale on the left wing again a really tall frame uh, and really powerful in contact James Ryan as well he's six foot eight, and he doesn't actually look the biggest but like he's so explosive in contact even against England and that Grand Slam deciding match going up against Maro Atoje, he looked like the most powerful player on the pitch, despite being 21. Like, I, I haven't seen a 21-year-old physically dominate opponents like he is doing for Ireland, um, and consistently so. So, yeah, they're, they're, it's this kind of new wave of, of really good athletes. On top of that, um, there's real intelligence there. You know, James Ryan, for a 21-year-old, makes very good decisions all the time. He's captained a lot of teams on the way through. Um, and Stockdale is a, is a big personality. He's a confident young guy. Um, and as always happens with a winger like Stockdale, a 21-year-old, there's questions about his defence. And he has made a couple of errors there, but he's extremely confident and he's extremely good at kind of getting over his errors and, and continuing to score tries. So that's really important as well in Test Rugby, where you are obviously going to be tested defensively. I think the Wallabies will definitely look at him. 
um, and his decision making on the on the edge with with their kind of wide play um, and the attacking shape. Now he has got a couple of intercept tries to Stockdale, so when he gets it right, he's really good at, at picking the ball off. But a couple other times during the Six Nations, he was exploited and maybe his footwork into the tackle wasn't great, um, and he just got rounded a couple of times. So. Um, yeah, they're they're the, they're the kind of new guys I'd be watching out for. Ty Byrne, who I mentioned as an uncapped player, has been sensational. Actually, he's been a really interesting story because he left he left uh, Leinster after coming through the academy, a lot of injuries, and he went to Wales, played for Scarlets, um, and so he wasn't eligible for Ireland because Ireland, uh, the RFU will only pick players who are playing for the provinces. You know, that's another method of keeping players in the country. But he was re- he was one of the best players in Europe in the Champions Cup massive um, turnover machine um, and really skillful around the pitch so he's an interesting one to watch and, and what role he plays either in the second row or, or the back row will be really interesting to me um, so yeah like there there is a, a degree of, of experience there but then you have those younger players Gary Ringrose is probably another one to mention who uh, you, probably you don't, would, you don't uh, have to talk to us about Gary Ringrose we're yeah. almost at the stage of calling him green and gold rugby's Gary Ringrose we like Gary okay. a lot down here that's that's good to hear. So yeah, he, I mean he's still only 23 and he's already um, achieved quite a lot. So yeah, there's a nice um, kind of current of youth in that squad as well. So certainly it bodes well for the future. Geez, madam, having flashbacks to this same discussion we had with I don't know whether it was Tim or or whoever JB from the the the, the rugby chases the egg chases. Um, these descriptions of James Ryan sound very Maro Atoji. Yeah, there's there's a real likeness there and the way they've exploded through so early in their careers. Um, he's an interesting guy. Actually, we interviewed him there last week and his great-grandfather was involved in the, the Easter Rising in, in Dublin back in 1916, obviously, when oh, wow. um, when the British were uh, occupying Dublin. So he's got a, a pretty amazing family history too. So really, uh, really interesting character. Is he the guy that hasn't lost a professional game of rugby yet? Yeah, he's 23 out of 23. Um, it's incredible. Um he, with Leinster and with Ireland, he still has to taste defeat. Um, so he's he's been <laughs> he's been a massive part of that winning run. Obviously, he's in, a, in two really good teams. Leinster have been sensational this season, and uh, winning the Champions Cup and, and Pro 14 as well. But um, he's been a big part of it, and yeah, hasn't hasn't lost a match yet. So long may that continue. <laughs> and what's the position? The position is is that lock? He's a lock. Yeah, he's second row. Yeah. Okay. And so look, mate. Um, the other thing that feels um, uncannily similar their reg is how confident our guests were and uh <laughs> and murray is sounding as well um <laughs> so 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 trying to put that aside there murray so you know this you know this irish team inside out um we, where where do, where are they uncomfortable you know yep. where do people put where do people like put them under pressure less comfortable when they're playing against teams who use a lot of width in their attack um, and i think this is a really interesting challenge because the australian very has control over everything there's so much detail even in their phase play of who needs to be where you know their set piece stuff that he uses those power plays over four or five phases where literally down to the amount of footsteps a guy is supposed to take is all pre-prescribed and so there's a lot of that in Ireland's play and they're a little bit less comfortable when it when it breaks up or when it's um, more about instant decision making um, on, on their own back rather than from their coach so I think Australia are really good at that kind of play and uh, and the width as well as one factor. Ireland have got tended to get quite narrow in defence um, into the high phases. They tend to bunch around the, the rook um, and their spacing around the rook tends to be quite poor um, at times uh, intermittently. And then you get the negative effect of that out wide. And often it'll be, it'll be Stockdale or Keith Earls left out there 
to defend two guys and people will point the finger at him but you can often trace the, the issue into the those players around the ruck not spacing or not folding around the corner simple things but but Ireland have had a habit of that so I think the 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 chances for for Australia will be um, in in using the width, their ability to get the ball out wide to guys like Flau in one on ones, um, and certainly on those kick returns as well, um, they're they're the kind of big question marks for Ireland still, and it'll be really interesting to see how uh, how Australia attack that. And have they got? Is it is it is it Farrell running the defence? Yeah, Andy Farrell. He's the former England co- England defence coach. Obviously, um, they got they got him in as soon as England let him go after that 2015 World Cup. He had to serve like gardening leave, but he's been a yeah he's been a very popular addition to, to the squad. The players absolutely love him. Um, and I guess one thing, while they have still been conceding tries, they've actually been scoring more tries off their defence as well. They're, there's a lot more line speed. There's a lot more aggression. Um, and they're getting tries from intercepts, as I mentioned before, or from, from making big hits and, and turning over balls. So that's one thing that Schmidt kind of tasked him with, with building in the squad. Um, but still, there's, there's that slight worry over... Um, what happens when they get a little bit um, not lazy around the rook, but just lose focus on, on their spacing there um, and, and got caught out wide? That happened a couple of times during the Six Nations, so um, definitely a big challenge. So, like everybody else, are they playing a fairly aggressive sort of up and in? Yeah, really, really aggressive. He likes having his wings up high, um, and often you'll see guys shooting, and, and you'll get quite a few high missed tackles. That's even from the centres, but they're willing to accept that for, for the pressure it puts on the ball carrier. So you'll, you'll see them flying up on Foley and, and definitely on Beal as well, just to put those decision makers, those playmakers under pressure and, um, and prevent the ball from getting out. Playmaker work, if they can get that ball wide um, to some of our key ball runners, um, you know, it could kind of blow the game open. If they can't, you can just see Ireland strangling it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's very much it. And, and I guess the worry for Ireland... A couple of months ago, the Super Rugby form from the Australian sides wasn't wasn't all that flash. But more recently, as you mentioned there, Reg, it's it's it has looked good, and and the Waratahs link of of Beal and Foley mm. and Flair was really has really been impressive. Flair and and Beal in particular, the two of them are just on the same wavelength all the time. Um, and if if one of those shooters misses his tackle on Beal and, and suddenly there's a little dog leg in the defence, the two of them together are, are ruthless in those situations. So I, I actually think Foley's a little bit underrated on this side of the world as well. Um, uh, you know, when they had that 2015 World Cup run, he was absolutely brilliant. And while he maybe hasn't consistently delivered that, he again, a creative guy and, um, and well able of, of dominating a game like this. Yeah, interesting. Uh, it's interesting you say that. I was going to ask you about who from the opposition, who from the Aussies, you, know, you, you fear from that Irish perspective. But you, you sum it up well that that Waratah triumphant there of Foley, um, but Bills and Bill and Falau will cause all sorts of. Will be looking to get themselves involved and really pressuring yeah. that uh, that, I, that Irish defence. I think it'll be interesting for for Irish people to get a sense of this Wallabies pack. I don't like. I don't think many people in Ireland watching it will know any of the names really, apart from Pocock and Hooper. Um, mm. But I think, like having watched a guy like Tui come on against the All Blacks last year and, and be really impressive, uh, obviously Daniel Tupo has is, is, is shown his quality, um, and Adam Coleman, probably someone that is not known at all in Ireland, yep. it can be an absolutely brilliant performer at Test level. So I think it'll be eye opening for for Irish people as well. And I think there probably is a little bit of complacency there uh, because they don't have the big names in that Wallaby squad that they used to. But um, I don't think it's going to be the three nil. That, that everyone's expecting. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Look, you're right. There's some exciting depth in that Wallabies squad, and I think hopefully the Irish 
um, we'll get to appreciate some of our new names. Luke Antui might be a little bit later coming to the period. He's just come back from injury. He came back through second grade rugby last weekend. Um, okay. Caleb Timu's a, a, a good one to keep an eye out for. We, you know, he may be the starting eight or six, depending what they do with that back row. I would imagine will definitely be from the bench. Um, yeah, Taniela Tupo. Really exciting to see how. He, He's really maturing, and it's not just his running game, which obviously gets the YouTube highlights, but his his scrummaging is really coming on. It'll, it'll be a massive test if he gets on the field this week. I, I'd expect him to be in the squad. Um, it's funny with him; you can see when his scrum's going to go wrong. His feet just get a little bit too far back, but when he gets his position right, he has been a, a revelation in the scrum this this season so far. So, look, plenty of excitement, uh, you know, from the, those young guys in the Australian squad. And let's just hope, um, you know, it, it, it we play that uh, impassioned, uh, exciting rugby that we know both teams sort of have built their, you know, rugby history on. So it, it could be a, an epic three tests and, and long overdue. Yeah, absolutely. Can't, can't wait for it. Would you think Jack Maddox, will he feature? A couple of their guys were talking him up this week. Will he be involved? It, uh, he, he, look, he, it's really interesting. Him and Tom Banks provide this great versatility, and whether it's from the bench. and On the strength of the kicking game, and we're all very aware of Conor Murray and as his sort of his kicking game from the base, but also, you know, as you say, the Gary Owens from Sexton. Um, and we feel comfortable with Falau there often... Uh, you know, Foley finds himself back there. But there's Dane Halepetti, who plays a better, better fullback. He, he's a good chance of being on the wing. But, yeah, it's interesting whether Corabidi, who hasn't been in fantastic form this season, he scored some good tries lately, whether they might go for that third fullback option being one of the rookies, Tom Banks or from uh, the Brumbies or, or Maddox. And, and Maddox is just one of these superb athletes. He could have been a first-grade cricketer, could have been a, a state squad cricketer and, and beyond. Um, he's been superb this year for a youngster, and I'd expect he'll get a test debut this series. It might be from the bench, um, but you know, to be quite frank, it wouldn't surprise me if he starts at some stage. Oh, wow, yeah, I mean, he's pretty raw. Uh, that, that, that'd be that, that'd be pretty undoubted talent. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that'd be quite a roll of the dice. Hmm. You, you, it's interesting there. You mentioned that Foley tends to end up in the backfield, uh, backfield quite a bit. I always find it interesting how the Wallabies defend, and Wart has obviously as well. <laughs> Defend off set piece, and I'm I'm waiting for Joe Schmidt to to use that set piece play that's going to pick him out down that five meter channel off a line out. Um, yeah, exactly. Or something like that. <laughs> I always find it fascinating to watch how they have to rejig everything on, on set piece and put Beal back there and and Foley tucked in on the wing. So I, I guess Joe Schmidt will have a few plays tucked up his sleeve for that. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I still think the best defensive effort we had last year was I think it was that All Black game we won, and everyone just defended in their positions. You know, Foley defended at ten and Beal at yeah. twelve and. It was it was quite simple and it worked, but and soon enough we're we're back switching players all over the place. So we'll, we we don't know what's going to happen this weekend. Yeah, who knows? But um, mate, just to switch the conversation a little bit from the you know the, what's coming up um, this weekend and the next few weeks. I mean, you, you talked earlier on about how we we first got in touch with you around 2013, and and um, you know you were from from what I could see, you were just making you know starting out in your career really. I think were you still a student at the time and um, yeah. just starting out with a bit of rugby analysis and a little bit of punditry and. It looks to me from afar, from the other side of the world, that you really developed this into a career. What's what's kind of happened in between? Uh, yeah, like yeah, 2013 was when I kind of started thinking I could make a career out of this. Um, I kind of finished playing rugby. I did a year in France playing rugby over there, which was very interesting. <laughs> a few stories for another time, maybe. But um, yeah, it's, it kind of took off from there. The the analysis side of things, which like I'd, I'd 
been on green and gold rugby and, and checked out that a, a fair bit and, and took a few ideas away a bit of inspiration um, and certainly there seemed to be an appetite and does still to, seem to be a big appetite for that more technical stuff the little bit more in-depth um, kind of reviewing and, and previewing games um, from from that point of view so yeah it's, it's kicked on I'm, I'm working with the 42 uh, who I've been with now for since 2013 November 2013 um, and they're brilliant for giving me this the space and time to kind of be a nerd and, and watch 10 rugby games and pick something out and, and try yeah. and turn it into an interesting article. So um, it's, been, it's been really enjoyable and I absolutely love um, getting the, the, the space to do that and to analyse rugby. So, um, yeah, massively enjoying it. Fantastic. And, and what are the kind of, um, kind of key trends, do you think, in terms of just little tactics that you, you, you expect Ireland to kind of show? I mean, I remember Ireland always seemed to turn up with something, quite often in defence. I mean, you know, it was the choke tackle that they used so yeah. successfully on us um, a few, you know, just a few years ago. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so, what are, you, what are you expecting to see? Yeah, interestingly enough, um, chatting to to Greg Feek there uh, at their media session on Tuesday, he was talking about how the coach have been watching a lot of Super Rugby and, in, in particular, the the Crusaders, um, who obviously are, are trendsetters, really, aren't they? Um, now he did mention the, the, their wet weather tactics. Like I haven't seen a better wet weather team in the world. I don't know how relevant that's going to be right now, but certainly some of the pressurising aspects of the Crusaders' play in terms of, of sticking the ball in behind teams, which we, we which we've already discussed, and being so clinical in in the five meter zone. Um, and Ireland have developed new tools in that regard. One of the little tweaks they made during the Six Nations was, um, you know, in the twenty two they're very direct. They they use their ball carriers off nine. But another little tweak they've added on top of that is is that kind of skip pass across the pot of forwards to a centre coming uh, back against the grain, uh, kind of out of the blind side of that third defender out from the ruck. So he's reacting late to that really um, really hard line just to his outside shoulder with a really flat pass from Conor Murray. Um, and I've actually seen, I've noticed quite a few teams now doing that, Crusaders being one of them. Um, so I'm not sure whose idea that was or who, who took it away, but it's definitely something we're seeing more in the game. Even Hugh Jones of Scotland is running that line quite a bit. Um, and it's just another little element to add to their, to their, I guess, their bullying tactics in the 22. Um, and when you have guys like Robbie Henshaw and Bundyaki in the centre who are extremely powerful, um, that makes sense. So there's always little tweaks like that with Joe Schmidt or, or even one of his set-piece plays that he's had for years. He'll, he'll add another little element into it. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting once again to see, see where that goes. And obviously with Stephen Larkham on the other side, there's something similar in terms of an incredible rugby brain as well. So... I'm excited just from that kind of coaching battle as well. Indeed, it's going to be a fantastic series all kicking off on Saturday night at Suncorp Stadium. Murray, look, thrilled to have you on board again. Thanks so much for your time. Um, uh, we're going to let you go. We, we know you're down the surface, Paris, surface paradise for another another night, and you know we don't want to deny you the opportunity of hitting the Gold Coast hotspots. Um, <laughs> but, um, mate... Thanks for your time again, and, and enjoy your time in Australia uh, over the next couple of weeks, and we might try and get you on again sometime, hey? Yeah, absolutely, anytime. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm a big fan, guys, so keep up the, the great work. It d- definitely keeps me in touch with Australian rugby, so um, yeah, if, it, if, if it does turn out to be 3-0 to Ireland, you probably won't get a call, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, but, yeah, give me a shit. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Enjoy. See you, See you much. Best, boy. Well, as one international guest leaves us, another one joins us. Uh, we thank Murray again for for his time, um, but we welcome in Jamie Miller. Jamie, how are you, mate? I'm very, very good, Reg. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure as per always. Uh, so enlightening sort of 
20 minutes, half an hour or so with Murray, talking very much Irish focus, but we want to, yeah, this is the green and gold rugby podcast and the, the green is to supplement the gold. It is about Australian rugby, so we need to refocus our attention a little bit here, lads, and it's not often we get to speak positively about our super rugby performances. And before we delve a bit more deeply into the Wallaby squad, I think it's relevant for us to touch on the rugby that was played last weekend by Australian teams. We saw, you know, the Blues beat the Rebels at Eden Park, which was, it's, oh, sorry, the Rebels beat the Blues at Eden Park, which is almost unheard of a, a victory at Eden Park, let alone a, a win in New Zealand. We had the Brumbies having a, a you know, a strong win over the Sunwolves. Um, which you might have expected might be a little bit more, but then also uh, a fairly incredible game up here in Brisbane when the Waratahs uh, beat the Reds uh, 40, uh, 52 to 41, which was uh, quite remarkable. But uh, I, I guess watching that weekend, uh, Jamie, let, let's talk about the weekend in isolation. What caught your eye, and is it uh, a positive sign for Australian rugby things turning around there? Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, I think each of the teams had something at the beginning of the season to be proud of. And then uh, as they went away from conference games, things started to fall apart a bit. But on the weekend, again, you know, all of the teams did something well. Um, The Rebels traditionally have been absolute crap away from home. And to get a win at Eden Park, even against a very dysfunctional Blues team, is really something. Uh, the Brumbies never let the Sunwolves in the game, really. Uh, the scoreboard flattered the men from Japan, I think, quite a lot. Uh, and both the Waratahs and Reds will be happy with their attack, at least on uh, up in Brisbane. Maybe not their defence. But I think the most, the, the most inspiring thing, the best thing for Australian rugby was the number of players who got left out of the Wallaby squad and then came out and had fantastic games, possibly their, their best games of the season. Uh, Matt Phillip was great, Kyle Godwin was great, and Henry Spate ran for a, a pretty crazy 180 metres down in Canberra and, and really uh, really told Michael Checker what he thought about being left out of that Wallaby squad. Justifiably left out, I reckon. But, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's what we need. We need those players um, who uh, are on the cusp of Wallaby selection, who have missed out on Wallaby selection, to stepping up and putting pressure on the guys that are in the jersey. Matt, what about you from the Super Rugby uh that last round? Yeah, look, I, I thought, uh, you know, the standout game there was obviously the, the, the Waratahs and the Reds. Um, in, in, in t- there was some fantastic rugby in there, and it was, it was, it was just a great game to watch. Uh, you could just hear all the Kiwis going, wow, these Aussie um, derbies are just the best rugby on the planet. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so we showed them how it's done. Um, but, and, and here's the thing I found quite interesting is that whenever we have one of these Kiwi derbies where it goes apeshit, from a attacking perspective, we end up with like a 40-something, 40-something or a high 30s match. You know, you don't hear about everyone, you know, getting there and ripping apart the defence. Um, it's just how amazing the attack was. And I, I kind of felt, I, I take Jamie's point, was that, you know, the Reds had one of their schizophrenic matches where one week they're the, you know, the, the hard-ass defenders of the of Aussie Rugby Conference and the next week they can't make a tackle and, on the weekend, we had the second uh, or the latter. Um, but I did feel, though, that it was a lot more about the attack from both teams, and um, especially the Waratahs, I guess, for the first, I don't know, 50 minutes or so, you know, really managed to, um, you know, get their whole attacking structure going. And surprise, surprise, they found out that Israel Flau is really good in the air. Who, who, who would have thought? 
But that seems a trend that is that is it is ridiculous. When did he make his debut? Was it the Lions two thirteen? Yeah. That what are we now? Two thousand eighteen. That it has been like it's the last few games. We have, and that was going to be one of my things for the Orange series. Have we finally realised that Falau can take a high ball? Because it, it is remarkable how they use they've used him this season more than I've ever seen in the air. Um, and God, it works every bloody time. Well, mate, look, what it is is I think a lot of people think that Aussie rugby can't plan, but actually we've been planning for 2019 <laughs> since 2013. We've just been keeping it hidden. We don't want people to work it out, and we're just getting ready to pull it out for Japan. Um, it'll be the, yeah, that, that, that cross kick to Falau because, I don't know, because you're right, it was, just, it, it was just unstoppable. It just saw the poor defenders going, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Yeah, remarkable. Look, I was at uh, look, and I don't want to overshadow the rebels. And, and like Jamie said, the Blues are, are all over the place at the moment. But gosh, uh, fantastic wing in New Zealand uh, on the back of that uh, uh, win by the Tars a couple of weeks ago in Sydney is is fantastic effort and then very momentous and, and a good confidence builder for Australian rugby. Um, but the Reds Waratahs game, I was there, and I know Thorne knows that he knows when his team is off their game pretty early in the game, and I thought we were off our game pretty early in the game, and if it wasn't for that lucky intercept try um, from Parisi that you know Higgins set up, um, I think we would have been blown off the park a lot earlier. I think this, the score flatters us tremendously, and we know very well our defence isn't good. Uh, you know, as Matt, you sort of alluded to, every now and again there's a game or two or at least a period or two where it looks okay, but it's been pretty dire this season. But what has been more dire this season has been our attack. I think we're, we, prior to this game at least, we're bottom of the ladder in terms of tries scored. Now, we scored seven in this game, which is incredible. First time since 2011 we've scored seven tries in a game. Um, I think it's our highest score for a couple of years, um, which is, is pretty mind-blowing considering that we missed probably six or seven kicks as well. So um, it was a, a pretty amazing match to be there, um, not for the atmosphere, uh, if I can say that. Goff came and was basically an empty stadium. Yeah, I don't know. I think they announced that the crowd of maybe 14,000, um, and that might be inflated a little bit, but even if it isn't, 14,000 for a Queensland-New South Wales match um, it is just a sign of the times. You know, and I know it's Origin Week, but it wasn't in Brisbane. But there's a Wallaby test. Why they weren't doing some sort of two-for-one ticket deal or discounted ticket deal with the Wallabies match, um, which isn't sold out either. Um, but, geez, it was, you know, disheartening to see such an empty stadium for a game that was so bloody entertaining. But I, I get it. You know, there wasn't any promotion. There wasn't any promotion. The biggest promotional thing around rugby that week was the launch of um, Newstead Brewing's Ballymore beer can, in a can. Um, yeah. which is a mighty fine drop. But that was it. That was the biggest promotion of the week, and it wasn't even Queensland rugby. I, yeah. it's, it's just frustrating. But, you know, we're getting off topic here. So, so look, guys, moving forward, I mean, how does that stand us? Can, does, does that give us a bit of sense of hope, you know, for this Wallaby series? The squad's been named, and we can get in a bit of a detail with that. But, Jamie, does that, you know, this one round, does that entitle us to be a little bit more positive about what we might expect from the Wallabies this this uh Test window? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, one swallow doesn't a summer make. I think having some experience winning, having some experience scoring tries is always good for guys coming into the to the Wallaby camp. On the other hand, it shouldn't obscure the, the broader picture. 
Um, but you know, there's a number of exciting rookies in this in this squad. Uh, you know, we've talked a bit about how much experience the Wallabies are losing overseas, so there's always going to be a lot of rookies, and you know, it'll just be interesting to see to see how they go. Um, you know, I think uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Matt, what about you? Do you, do you feel um, you know that that sort of upswing in momentum? I guess particularly, you know, the Rebels getting back into you know, some of the semblance of the form in the last couple of weeks, but even more so the Waratahs, who are always a pretty critical um, uh, sort of quantity to this squad. They're sort of they're getting back into the, the scheme of things these last few weeks. Yeah, well, look, I um, have obviously taken my antidepressants uh, today, unlike Jamie. I know it's a bit early over there, mate. Maybe you just need to go over and get a couple down you um, uh, to, to help you get through the day. But Look, I do think that um, yeah, there's a little bit of something. There's just there's, there's a little bit more of a swagger in the step, um, I think, of, of the Aussie teams, and especially with the Tars. I mean, um, and look, and to be honest, you know, you know, the Reds too, where you know, what was it by losing in a, in a sort of bit of a last minute there against the Highlanders in a game that, yep, you know, really with a little bit more experience on the paddock, you think they should have been able to. To, to, to win, um, you got the Tars, you got Gypped, a, cu- a couple of wins uh, against Kiwi opposition, um, including being you know, in, in New Zealand, um, and who you know went toe to toe with those with those guys. And whilst they ended up walking away with whatever it was, one win out of three or four, the, you think really unbalanced. It should have probably been two or maybe even three. Um, and, and I think that starts to settle in, and, and the guys. You know, you get away from that hoodoo of, oh, God, these teams are just unbeatable. And you start to go, actually, we can go toe-to-toe with these guys, you know, you know fairly easily. And, and, and that's even when, you know, you'd say that the Tars' back five is, is still a big problem. Um, you know, the Reds are still, you know, quite a few players short of any real, of a real sort of, you know, uh, top-tier team. And it's just really, you know, getting itself together in, in its first year here. Um, you know, and then, as you said, then the Rebels winning away. So there's, there's a whole bunch of different things there. Um, you know, and the Brumbies finally not looking a total basket case. Um, despite, can I just say one of the things that stuck out to me last weekend was listening to Rod Kafer, who's the director of performance, uh, at Rugby Australia, absolutely gets stuck into the Brumbies from the beginning of the telecast to the end. Um, and he, and, he, and he wasn't just sort of, you know, he was getting struck, you know, the way that they were playing, the structure they were using, the tactics they were using, how he was disappointed with their performance <laughs> all season. I, like, it's one thing when you're a pundit, right? And, <laughs> but when but there's something ironic about it as well, which is, mate, you're the, you're the director of performance for Rugby Australia. Like, uh, <laughs> haven't you got something to do with that too? Um, yeah, indeed. Uh, I, I found that, you know, I found it bizarre that, Kafer could keep his job as a pundit, but be the director of performance of Rugby Australia. But then to be doing that was really interesting, and it, and it begged questions like, was that because he had the shits because the Brumbies didn't rest players um, like like they'd asked um, during yep. the week? Because yep. um, usually, as we all know, Kafe has you know is definitely like a, got a one-eyed complex when it comes to the Brumbies. So it was quite bizarre to hear him kind of doing that. But um, yeah, look, I, I just wanted like you know, and the Brumbies got a couple of wins on the board. Um, you know, not quite the basket case they were. Um, as Jamie said, there were some impressive performances through there. And yeah, you just started to get that feeling that, you know, you take a bit of the red, you know, a, a good chunk of the Reds pack, um, you know, some of the Brumbies pack, put that together with the Tars back line, um, and, you know, and plus Wilgenia, and you've, you've got something that's a pretty decent team. 
Look, yeah, I, look, go, go, Jamie. Yep. I, I largely agree with what Matt's saying. My my less bullish feeling comes simply from the fact that what we've seen over the last two years is we turn up on the day, the spine of the team does have class in it, we attack well, we score some points, and then we just do a series of incredibly fucking dumb things and we play dumb rugby. And, you know, I don't know if anyone on this podcast has a lot of optimism that that's going to suddenly change. Uh, and yeah. that's the reason for me feeling a bit bearish about things. I love it, Jamie. You've adopted my managed expectations hashtag for the season. That was mine for the Reds, and I think it's worth considering it for the Wallabies. I will say, I don't think they could have picked a better Wallaby squad. I don't think there's any omissions that you know that should be there. That's that cry out that they should be there. You know, um, the injury to Jordan Yulacy is you know weakens a spot that was already pretty weak anyway. Uh, but we we were talking about that last year when we. Knew Moore was retiring and we knew Tatafi was going to be moving overseas. Um, they've obviously decided to rest Tatafi for this series and he's rested up by playing some Barbarians games. Um, but, you know, it's a stronger squad as I could hope. The big unknown is, as you say, Jamie, what happens on the field. You know, the six days together now. Um, can And remembering our last couple of performances last year was a record loss and not just a record loss, a humiliating loss to Scotland. Um, with no disrespect to Scotland um, and to England and even Italy pushing us far and much more of that. I've, I've sort of blocked out the rest of that season. But this Wallaby side has underperformed um, for a couple of years now. And I think if nothing more than the fact that it's the first time we've got this three-test series versus Ireland, Ireland number two in the world on top of the Six Nations, this goes down as... Probably the most important test series um, for some time. We probably, we probably said that about that England test series, did we? On the back of the World Cup. But this is pretty critical, I guess, as much as anything for Michael Checker. Um, yeah. His coaching certainty. Well, if there's yeah, good I, news, the, the good news is, though, that you know, they just haven't had very long with Nathan Gray. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, defensively, we have a hope. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean... I've got to. I've got to really agree with Reg there. I mean, I think this series is really just going to be about the smarts and those games that you all mentioned, Reg. Going back to that 2016 game in Ireland where we somehow found a way to lose. I mean, this is just a, a national setup that that doesn't seem to value smart thinking rugby. And then we're playing by far, I would say, the smartest team in world rugby, the best coached the most organised with halves who really know how to execute the game plan. I mean, watching the way that they craft tries in that Six Nations competition is just so different from the Australian approach. And I'm just not sure we've got the smarts to, to combat it, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, the thing we said, Jamie, um, we are talking with Murray, and, you know, my question to him was, and you know, can you see any reason why, you know, Route 1 would be exactly what, Eddie Jones did to us um, as well, which would be, I'll tell you what I'm going to do is, you know, Johnny Sexton has got a fantastic um, territory game, kicking game. I'm just going to put you guys in your 22 and let you just bumble your way out. And, you know, you've got no exit, um, you know, because, you know, for, for some crazy reason, we keep using Foley as our exit kicker. You'll get no distance. Um, I'll have a, you know, I'll have a line out, you know, on and around your 22 um, if if you don't you know cough up or spill or throw an intercept or a charge down you know before that, and the and the game will just kind of you know get choked out from there. 
And I, I can't see any reason why Ireland wouldn't do that. Can you? No, I think that's a very solid way of looking at it. I think, you know, yeah. Ireland, Scotland, England, they, they're all playing a more expansive style, but it's, it's a very controlled expansion. They still rely very heavily on the foundations and they love to use multi-phase play from the set piece. Uh, Ireland are, are just masters at this. If you look at the Six Nations, a lot of Ireland's tries come off a set piece or within the opposition 22. They're not a team that's going to go 80 metres against you in the way that Australian or New Zealand teams can. And, you know, if we're going to win, we, we know what we have to do. We have to neutralise the kicking game. We've got to be good in the air, and that's a big reason why... Dane Haylett Petty, Tom Banks, Jack Maddox have all been picked and Henry Spade hasn't. We've got to be good at the set piece. Uh, we've got to be disciplined and deny them the easy points. And together with those three things, we've got to get in front and make them chase the game. We can't get into the situation that we've gotten in with these European teams the last couple of years where we let them put pressure on us and then the scoreboard adds its own pressure it compounds, it accumulates, and then things just go from there. We've got to really stop those three things. But if we can attack the foundation, the way that we should play these Northern Hemisphere sides is still the way we would have done it five years ago. Attack the foundation, deny them that foundation, and then go from there. So how does that mean, um, how does that impact our test selection? I guess by the time... This podcast comes out. It'll come out tonight, obviously, which is uh, Wednesday night. Test team will be named Thursday afternoon. What impact does that have in our test squad? I guess, you know, we expect our line-out to be weakened. We don't have a third jumper or a pure third jumper unless they may play a massive risk and bring Luke Antui onto the side of the scrum despite him having minimal game time of late. Um We'd expect it to be a back row of Hooper and Pooper and, and one other, you know, you know, whether, whether that's Timu or um, or even Peter Samu from the Crusaders. I'd, I'd be surprised at that. But a weakened lineup is that uh, is that fall into the Ireland game plan? There does that help Ireland? Yeah, really I, I think that, do I think they probably will pick Tui at six. Um, I think you know his aggression and his ball running will will add something, and I think they'll think having more in tight and having that third jumper might be very useful. Um, I think the rest of the team more or less picks itself. They'll go for one hard-running winger, almost certainly Corey Betty, and then one other winger, probably Haylett Petty, who can stay back and deal with the high balls along with Falau. Um, I mean, the real issue is is up front, where I think mm. the scrummaging... You know, we've really got a good group of props at the moment, surprisingly. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's the difference of players playing overseas. If Pilotta now isn't playing overseas, he starts this series and then uh, the Tong and Thor is picked at three, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, yep. But, you know, given that we've got an, just an extraordinary amount of inexperience in the hookers, no matter who gets picked at hooker, whether it's Pyinger or Mosa or, or Latu or whoever, you've got to go with Kepu at three. There's no way you pick a rookie two and a rookie three next to each other in a scrum against Ireland, you're just putting a huge target on them. So I think Kepu probably does retain that three jersey and Tom and Thor come on later. But other than that, I think the team picks itself. Yeah, that 6-1 is the curious one, isn't it, though, Matt? I mean, I, yeah. I'm a big fan of Luke Antui, but he's, he's, he just hasn't played rugby. You know, he, he played a bit of club footy a couple of weeks ago, then he played reserve grade because... He didn't make the Reds 23 and his 
premier grade team had to buy, so I went and played reserve grade against Logan City, and you know the team won South won fifty odd nil. Um, so you know it's not ideal setup, but he is the type of player you get the feeling, particularly on the back of Murray's discussions, that would be worthwhile having in the team. The, the Irish backed themselves at the ruck against the likes of Pooper, of the Pooper, but having a bit of a strong, aggressive ball run like Tui. Um, yeah. Would be handy. I just, I'd, I'd be, I personally, I'm doubtful he'll, he'll get that shot. Maybe off the bench. Yeah, look, and I don't know why we depower ourselves and we could have Ned Hannigan there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys, that was okay. That was a gag. <laughs> um, uh, is is Hannigan? Is he is he back from injury in Cleveland? He, he, no, he's in the squad. Oh. I don't think he's back until the next game. Okay, because I tell you what, I, you know, this isn't me arguing for it, but this is me saying that this is exactly the sort of selection that Jacker would make. Um, we saw we saw him stick with Hannig with Hannigan through thick and thin, and, and would see him as that third lineout jumper. So um, I, I think we can probably expect to see him get get some game time later on. Um, look, I, I thought the guy who um, took his chances perfectly, you know, last weekend, um, his name I've just completely forgotten. He was Caleb to me. Yeah, Timu. Um, yep. You know, I, I think he's taken all the chances he's been given. Um, yeah. You know, he showed you know great ball sense. He's strong. He's big. Um, he's even got a bit of pace. Uh, yeah, I think you know him or the uh, you know our our fifty thousand dollar man. Um, you know, either of those guys are probably the ones we're having a look at. And then you just hope someone can take that that role by you know by the scruff of the neck, don't you? But but for whatever reason, you know, it's just been a revolving door, that, that six role. Um, we haven't been able to tie it down. So to be able to find somebody, um, you know, this you know, this test series would actually be a massive find, you know, going into the, you know, uh, the Four Nations and, and, and then with the World Cup around the corner. So, yeah, that's a big one to watch. Whoever get, Hopefully they actually give a, you know, we actually cycle through yeah. each, each of those yeah. players, see them get a run, Agreed. and then whoever... You know, stamps their their name on it um, is would be would be great to see that happen. It's just worth remembering when you say for whatever reason we know the reason it's because we let Scott Fardy head off to Ireland. Mm. That's that's the reason uh, where he's playing <laughs> as well as ever. Mm. I mean, who would who would have thought that Scott Fardy would be super gritty and dependable and consistent on the field? I mean, <laughs> who could possibly have predicted that? Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and bring a shitload of smarts at the same time, uh, and, and, a I third, think, and a third line out jump. Well, I think he's actually playing lock uh, at the moment in in Ireland, if I've got that right. So, um, yeah, he's completely stepped up, like all Aussie players do who go overseas for some reason. <laughs> um, what about further out wide? What are you? I mean, you're right. The backline picks itself. You know, Guinea, Foley, Beal. Uh, does the combination, the Waratah combination? Get Rona over the line, or, or, or does the, the incumbent? Well, I assume is the incumbent Kurandrani stick on there, or I'm can I just say for every given defence? But yep, as as blue monocle as I can be, I don't get the Rona love. Um, yeah, I don't either. At, at no. all, at all. In fact, he he just look. You know, we usually try not to talk down players, and I. But I, I, I is that a thing yeah. we do <laughs> <laughs> on the forums, mate? At least. Yeah, I, I don't think Ned Hannigan would agree with that. <laughs> um, he, 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 you know, but yeah, Rona worries me when he gets near the ball. I just, I just never feel like he's got this, you know, and I, I don't think he's got the same defensive sense and everything else. I, I just really can't see him being a first pick quality at any stage. And you know, you, you'd go back to, uh, you know, uh, TK, you know, you know, 
uh, I think every time, um, unless you wanted to do some sort of a, a shuffle around. Because I, I want, I, I'm assuming Hodge will, it will be there and thereabouts, and maybe even in the 23, you know, just if you lose one of those playmakers. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see that. But I just, I yeah, I don't, I don't see Rona, and I and I, I don't even know what the argument is that people are sort of putting forward because it's not like he's. I mean, you know, he's, he's had one or two, you know, you know, kind of bustles to the line, but it's not like he's creating play. It's not like he's doing massive hits. I, I don't get it. I think, it's you know, I think, I think every year, you know, Tavita Kudrani takes a, a a page out of the Ma Nonu playbook and plays like complete crap in Super Rugby for the first half of it. Slowly brings his form together, and then. You know, both McKenzie and Checker have left him out of June series before and been and looked at other players. And invariably, it's turned out to be a huge mistake. And by the middle of the year, they realise he's actually critical, not just to that hard line that he loves to run, but his defence. His defensive understanding as a 13 is really, really good. And uh, Curtis Rona's is not. And Samu Karebi's is very much not. So mm-hmm. I think it'll... It's just a no-brainer to pick Kurudrani there. He's, he's very dependable, uh, and he does offer something close to the line as well, and he offers smarts. He's big in the ruck. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. I've got to be honest. And I, I think he'll, he'll be picked, and I think he'll do a decent job. Having said that, we know, you know, going back to the, you know, Czech has got a thing for, for, for Karevi. I mean, is yep, there anything yeah. to t- is there anything to tell us he's not going to go selecting in there? And, and to be fair to Karevi, I, I think he continues to, you know, he's still got a way to go, but I think he continues to firm up as far as you know decision making and dependability and, and those sorts of things. I still think he'll get, I think he'll get found out like hell against the Irish, but um, I, I would not surprise me at all. Would, would it surprise you guys if we saw his name there on the sheet? No, nah, not not at all. And I think Karevi's one of those guys, and there's a really interesting uh, piece. Uh, by Michael Checker on the website, The Player's Voice. I don't know if anyone, you guys are across that, but just today, and he talks about um, his selection uh, principles and how he's expanded what they look for now in players. Um, it, it's worth worth checking out, but a lot of it is, uh, yeah, not a lot of it, uh, but a, a, an increasing part of it is, is you know, the, the person off the field and how they approach and, what, you know, how they perceive him as a, as a as a wallaby as much as anything else, and I think Karevi's got a great off-field presence, and I you know I'm not making excuses for him, but I know he's highly regarded as a leader. He's still only 23 or something, and he's you know captain Queensland a few times. Um, I think he's a great trainer. I think he's a great team man. So I think that, and we we forget sometimes in selections, coaches rely on that. You know how they train, how they're at the team squad, how they are at meetings, and all that sort of stuff, and we don't know the ins and outs of that. Um, you know, being on the outside, we can only see what's happening on the field and, and uh, you know, read the statistics. And that doesn't always, I guess, tell the big picture that the coaches look at. And, and, and I guess, you know, when you coach guys, you know what they are like at training and all that sort of stuff. Even if they're under sixes and stuff, you're, you're more likely to pick the guy who doesn't ask around at training. And, and, and I, I just get the impression Karevi's one of those really pro trainers that, that coaches like. So um, whether that has any say on things, we'll see. Well, I can say, so to back that up, Reg, is that, um, uh, you know, one of the, the key members of the Green and Gold Rugby crew was having um, a coffee in a Randwick um, cafe. And, uh, you know, this was like after last season. And um, Czech and Michael Hooper sat down 
and you know started having a chat. And the big topic of discussion was big plans for Samu Karevi next year. And oh, exactly really? t- talking about all the things you just talked about, about how they think he's a great leader, um, you know, what he brings to the team, you know, uh, in, in, you know, more widely. Apparently that was yep. centre to conversation. So, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think we should be surprised. You know, yeah. I think our spy mm. network is getting better and better, to be honest. This, <laughs> this network of paid informants is great. I mean, look, I think, I think Karevi is he's obviously dynamite on attack close to the line. His hands are a lot better. His defense is getting better. But, I mean, that match against New Zealand last year, I mean, he looked like he was several that tiers was of rugby, several tiers of rugby out of his depth at 13. And the All Blacks just kept pulling back. They kept going back the uh, uh, back to the same, the, the blind side over and over again to try to isolate him. And it just worked a dream. I just... I, I would have thought anybody else would have had nightmares about that performance. I mean, it was just atrocious. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I think that's what Ireland are going to look to do. You know, they really, really smart with these multi-phase strike moves that move specific defenders away and look for mismatches in the 22. And I think, you know, moves that bring their backs back towards the front of the line-out are definitely going to be one area where they're going to try to isolate our front rowers. And the other one is is trying to target our thirteen and getting them separated from their uh, from their surrounding defenders. And you know, I'm just not sure t- Samu's got the decision making or the <clears> footwork <throat> or the footwork, the turn speed um, to really combat that. Yeah, fair call. The only other you know interesting selection for mine is that wing. I know you, you mentioned Corabidi, and he'd be mine. And I know I was raving about him as one of the sort of wings of of the. Uh, you know, best wings in the in, in the world at the moment, sort of late last year. Uh, just curious about, you know, we talk about that Irish kicking game and um, Conor Murray's sort of box kick and Sexton's uh, up and unders and so on, and as to whether there's a temptation to, to get an extra fullback down there. And we've got a couple of rookies in the squad and Tom Bakes and, and Jack Maddox who will be long odds to play. But I just want, or even Reese Hodge, who's played his fair bit of wing, um, just if there's any temptation to, uh, to to just shore up that backfield by having one of those guys back there as well, knowing that Israel will be one and expecting Hallett Petty to be the other. I don't know. Well, I think I think Corabetti will be picked, but he'll play in the line, uh, you know, where we've seen Reese Hodge a lot sort of defending drop, in the centres. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. drop alternately Foley or Beal back with and the other guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But just, uh, you know, on that question about selection... Does anybody have any idea how Sefani Valu got in the squad and Henry Spate did not? Um, they're clearly, you know, picked for the same role, the same type of player. But Naivalu hasn't started for the Rebels. He's he's a bench player. He's not even starting there. And look, he's he's a raw talent. But I mean, has he really done more than Henry Spate has? Anybody? No, but I think I, I think he's I think he's hasn't had the chance. In green and gold, I think Spates had a fair chance in green and gold, and Ping yeah. found out numerous. That's times. fair. That's a fair point. I mean, Spates' defensive choices are also pretty suspect. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's just you just feel cruel watching the guy out there, um, you know, running around in circles, you know, looking to do double the number of tackles because he realised he hasn't done the right one in the first place. Um, <laughs> it's 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 yeah, it, it, you, really, you really feel like you probably shouldn't do that to somebody. I mean, 
it's funny because he didn't always look that way. It's this, it's this weird gray pattern where you put so many people into the middle of the field that you encourage the opposition to go wide and isolate the wingers. I mean, it happens all the time. We just don't defend the whole width of the field very well at all. And it puts a, a huge responsibility on the 13 and the wingers to get that right. And you're right. He does do a remarkable impersonation of a, of a pirouetting figure skater looking, looking around for which of the three guys he should be tackling at any one moment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not a good look. But I, look, I, I, I and, and, and you, you do worry there, right? Cause if you're, you, if you're the, it's, it's a good question though, I think, Reg, because yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that, in my mind, that that's where Ireland are going to go, and they're going to say, mm. you know, has got no kicking game. Um, yep. Uh, so you're going to you're going to roof down. You're going to go. Corabetti's got no kicking game, um, and then you've got uh, and, and 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 Foley hasn't got any distance on his. So you, I mean, God, you're just you're inviting it, aren't you? I mean, you know, they, 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 I think the only boot that we've really, I mean, Haylett Petty, we've seen it in the past, but I don't know, I haven't seen it for a while. And then uh, Beal. Beal's basically our only half-decent clearance kicker. Yeah, yeah. And uh, why that Genny is going to get it up into a box kickoff with uh, uh, with Kamara and, and oh my god, there'll be one winner there. Because he does. He, yeah, no, he gets encouraged when the other team does it well. He thinks, oh, I should be giving this a try, and he's terrible <laughs> at it. So um, I, yeah, I think, uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. I think collectively there is no single skill area where Australia is so bad as the kicking games of our nines. Like, all of them, top to bottom, right across Super Rugby. Let's go for a fair chunk of club rugby as well. The, the <laughs> kicking of our nines sucks. It is terrible. Yeah, yeah. it is. 100%. Uh, and, and so, and just speaking of uh, capability, did you guys see the... Um, you know, see the uh, the article. Um, I think it was both in Fox and on Rugby.com.au, which was the, the lovely interview um, that uh, is it Samu, the guy out of you know coming over from the Crusaders, yeah. um, gave about um, you know basically how the only reason he's been Wallaby Gold is because he went to New Zealand and learned how to play rugby properly, and that's yeah. almost <laughs> a direct quote from the article. Uh, that's, that's exactly what he said. Yeah, um, it was quite unbelievable. He said, "Oh yeah, you just." Learn all the little things that you need to be able to do, and, you know, and, and actually how to do set piece, and 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 how to be at the ruck and around the ruck, and I'm like he basically just listed everything you need to do in a game of rugby, and said, yeah, I've learned how to do them. It's, it's bloody great. <laughs> yeah, it's horrifying, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So um, you're like, oh yeah, okay. So that, that's why he'll stroll into the ruck with the wallaby. I must admit, when Murray was talking earlier about, you know, it's, it's little things the Irish pack do well and how they latch on and win and all that sort of stuff. And, I, you know, you can see the gap. You can see why that why Australia rugby with these, you know, with skillful players and good players, poorly coached. You know, you can see why we aren't performing on the stages at any level, you know, whether, whether it be test match, you know, the, the sevens teams on the weekend, with all due respect, some improved performances, but down to the under twenties who have been nigh on, you know, diabolical. Um, and we might speak about them later, but it, yeah, we can, it's, it's clearly there, but let's on this weekend. All right, lads, let's, we'll wrap up soon. Um, so what do we expect? What do we expect for the Wallabies this weekend? Do we get my hope, Jamie? Look, I think, <clears throat> I think we do give them a hope. I think we'll probably, I think we'll probably lose the series three, two, one. And I think it's pretty 
we, we can be pretty sure of what we're going to see. I think in one test we'll get it right. In another test we'll play okay but do a few dumb things and, you know, just that lack of experience and lose. And then in one test we'll probably see the horror show that we've seen the last two years. We'll just see us handing it to the opposition through terrible game management, poor kicking from hand, bad goal kicking, bad discipline, simple errors, falling behind on the scoreboard, and we basically choke ourselves to death. Um, that's the sort of pattern I think we'll see, but our, our best chance is this weekend. I think if we can come up there and, as Matt said, sort of channel that positivity and, and, and that confidence from Super Rugby at Suncorp Stadium, which is, you know, our best ground, uh, then we then we put our best foot forward. Um, and I'd love to see it. I, I badly want to see that because this series is going to be so critical in determining our confidence looking forward to next year, but it's also critical to determining Ireland's confidence going forward to next year. And uh, we just, we have to get it right, that first 40 on Saturday. What about you, Matt? Do you, do you think we're much of a chance this match yeah. in the series? I, I agree a lot with Jamie. I mean, remember those three match test series that we used to have back in the day and you know you'd go out and depending on what happened the first test you'd see that you know the the, the the wallaby coach changed their tactics for test two and then you'd win the second test in a completely different yep. way to the way you played the first one and da 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 and it set it up for a nail biter of what the third one was going to be like and with you know kind of bluff and counter bluff of tactics and strategy and, um and you, you, the one thing you know is that there is no way that uh Checkers coaching squad can do that. <laughs> um, so we know that for sure. Um, whereas, you know, quite the opposite with Schmidt. So I, what, what I agree with Jamie there is our best hope is that, you know, it's, I tend to agree it will probably be a 2-1. Um, that we, you know, that Irish are a little bit overconfident. Um, as uh, Murray was saying, you know, maybe we managed to catch them a little bit, you know, with being able to get wide quickly with, you know, some... Yeah, you know, some sort of um, you know second man plays and, and, and those sorts of things, and we get amongst them and you know rattle them a bit, and you know God forbid we put a few high balls to Falau, and you know we kind of chalk up. And Foley's got his kicking boots on, and you know we, we we get that first test. Here's the one thing though: is I'm damn sure that Smith will you know learn from that, and then test two will screw us right down. And then it'll be, can we bounce back from there? And the third, injuries will probably pay a big thing or not. So I think, you know, our hope is to um, go apeshit in this first one, the balls to stick, everything just to work, um, and, uh, yeah, pull, and pull that one away. So it's, it, that's what I guess my, my prediction is more of a hope. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I probably think it's probably 50-50. Um, and, uh, yeah, but if we don't get it, then, um, yeah, it's definitely two on the other way, if not maybe three zero. Yeah, I don't quite feel as confident as, as this weekend. I, you know, we, we, it's got to be a fluke. You know, I just think the short turnaround, I don't know when Ireland got here, maybe they're feeling the effects of the travel, um, hopefully, because just the, the short lead up, there's got to be new combinations in this team, and, and that worries me a little bit. I would have thought later on it might even be the third dead rubber. But we'll see. Hopefully they come out. Hopefully there's a big crowd at Suncorp Stadium um, and uh, the Wallabies can really start the season off positively. I actually think more positive, more confidently about the Rugby Championship than I do this series, but that's only because um, of this sort of unusual timing of it in the middle of the Super Rugby season, which it obviously has been for a while. But um, let's hope the Wallabies, Wallabies can... Uh, 
can pull it off this weekend because it'll be an awesome way to start, which is a, a fairly historic three-match series versus the Irish. And you I mean, there's, there's, there's pressure on the Irish too. I mean, I think, yep. you know, the players have been coming off uh, a long season two seasons ago, then a Lions tour, then another long season where yep. they've just gone in European rugby all the way to the end. All the way, um, yep. I mean, anybody would have thought they would have rested their key players, but they've obviously taken a leaf out of Clive Woodward's book in uh, before the 2003 World Cup and thought, look, if we're going to go beat the best in the world, we've got to know that we can beat the best in the world off our own patch. We have to have done that before the World Cup. Um, I was very surprised when they named Sexton and Murray in this squad. Um, but if we can get the hop on them on Saturday, if we can do what we can do at Suncorp sometimes and just play with that level of energy and creativeness, uh, we're going to leave the smarts to the side for now and put them under pressure. Um, they've made a big investment in this tour, and it might just be that we can we can continue to do that. And and they'll underestimate us. You know, they'll underestimate the Wallaby Scrum. They'll underestimate the Maul. Um, you know, I think they're, they're, you know there's an opportunity there if we can get it right quickly to apply some real pressure on them as a touring squad. There you go. All right, in the well, bag. let's hope it all pans out. Excellent. Love it. Um, that'll wrap us off. Yeah, quick one, lads. The uh, just the under twenty. So they got beaten in their first game versus Wales, I think it was, and really looked quite terrible. It was as a poor Wallaby, oh sorry, Australian rugby performance as I've seen. It's very much a development team. They kept a lot of the Super Rugby players at home. Um, a few have just flown in now as reinforcements. They had a you know, a sizable win versus Japan um, by fifty odd points. Uh, but they also let in three tries. Um, the All Blacks were a lot more ruthless, and we now play the Junior All Blacks on Friday morning. I think it's about 5 a.m. Um, East Coast Elite time. So let's see how they go there. But it's um, it looks to be another under-20s Junior World Cup campaign that has uh, promised little and delivered little. So, um, uh, But let's uh, <laughs> we'll see it go past and hope the, uh, the Wallabies perform better on Saturday night. Right. Um, anything else, lads, before we wrap it up? No, I'm looking forward to being there. I'm going to be there on Saturday night. So, You're um, going to be there as well? Yeah. All right, we might have to catch up. I know Cyclo's going to be there as well, isn't he, Dave? He is indeed. So, yeah, I think we might have to have a couple, mate. Of oh, those right. new Excellent. red bullets that you've been drinking. Yeah, they're very good, mate. Very good. Yeah. The Valley Mall. And, and, and um, look, just the, yep. the one thing that I, I need to uh, probably haven't mentioned here is that um, you know, the, the Waratahs have actually been uh, supporting... Uh, green and gold rugby this season. So, if you uh, yeah, like what we're doing, especially if you live in New South Wales, uh, make sure you get along to the next uh, home game. But um, yeah, good on the Tars for um, you know helping keep the lights on. And in no way does that affect our coverage of them whatsoever, because we were biased already. So. <laughs> exactly, that's right. <laughs> good stuff. All right, lads, Jamie, really appreciate your early start once again. Um, always great insight into what's going on around the traps. Not at all. Good luck in the state of origin, Reg. Yeah, right. That's on tonight, isn't it? Um, we'll see how it goes. We might catch the last few minutes of that when we finish up here. But uh, all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Um, and who knows when you'll hear from us again. Uh, if we win, we might be back next week. <laughs> see ya. Thanks, everyone. We'll speak to you soon. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. 
Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a beer.